0: It's 2023, and it's time to get some whimsy into your life. I'm Brad Rose. Welcome to another edition of The Seltzer Salon. I'm so excited that today's guest is the one, the only, Matt Sage, uh, somebody whose work I admire so, so much, who I've known for a little while. I He was one of the first interviews I did when Foxy Digitalis came back a couple years ago. And, yeah, it was... That was a great conversation. This was a great conversation. I feel like every time I talk to him, it just kind of brightens my day and makes me... I don't know. It just makes me feel a sense of appreciation for things that I should appreciate more and on a more regular basis. Something like that. I don't know. It's It's hard to explain, but it's... Yeah, I love talking to him. So his new album is Paradise Crick, which came out last month or... Earlier this month, depending on when you're listening to this, on Revenge International, and for somebody who's made so many fantastic albums, this one really stands out. Even uh, against that, I, it's it's remarkable. It's an album about it's an album about a mountain about a lot of things, but and we talk about this. We talk about joy and whimsy and reverie and pleasure and all of these things that. We need more of it in our lives. We need to lean into more in our lives, I think, because of everything else that's going on, you know. And finding that in music and these uh, these small moments on Paradise Crick and really just kind of feeling and experiencing those, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. And I, I can't recommend this album enough. There's a Foxy Digitalis Daily episode on it from a few weeks ago. I'll link that in the show notes too. Uh, but if you haven't heard it, listen to this and pick it up and then just yeah get some joy into your life here today with matt sage whose new record paradise crick just came out a couple weeks ago on revenge international matt how is it going
1: uh it's great it's uh it's really nice to have this record out in the world and it's (laughs) uh been really nice and rainy here in colorado which is unusual and yeah uh, everything's good how are you brad
0: Um, I'm pretty good. It's been a whirlwind morning, but um, hey, they they all are in some way or another. That's Uh, true. (laughs) Well, I guess to start, I I know it, it touches on this a little bit in the sort of one sheet or liner notes or whatever, but talk to me a little bit about where the concept or sort of the initial seeds of Paradise Creek came from.
1: Um, so even though I'm living in Colorado now, the record was completely recorded, uh, and made in Chicago Mm -hmm. and it was born from our camping trips. Uh, my partner Lynette and I, we are both from more rural settings and moving to Chicago led to like a very serious sort of like City fatigue in a lot of times. and so we often jetted out of the city for weekends camping uh, a couple of times a warm season. And so I had grown up camping and like whatever we did an interview about the wind of things like right. I grew up on sailboats and in in like rural lakes mm-hmm. and areas my whole life. but uh, being in the city and going to these like very manicured, campsites around the Midwest, uh, like in Southern Wisconsin and uh, in Illinois, it was really fun and charming and disarming. And so I, and on one of those trips, I was reading Trout Fishing in America by Richard Brodigan. Mm-hmm. And I was just really taken with this idea of making a sort of like uh, a nature record, but not like nature as in, uh, scary capital W wilderness and more sort of <laughs> like, uh, uh, a groomed trail for people to explore. Uh, because I think that's a thing a lot of people don't consider is how much work it is to keep like a, you know, a campground right. navigable to people from a city. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that that's kind of where it was born from was making something musically that kind of felt like that
0: oh that's yeah i really like that yeah there's um about i guess about a mile and a half from our house there's this it's a city park but it's it's called turkey mountain and it's but it's just this big hill that is not like there's a parking lot but it's forest but there's like it's a really popular spot but they and they have all these you know trails through it and a couple years ago they started they have like this master plan of they've been kind of redoing the trails and so they've posted a lot of progress pictures and videos of building trails yeah and it's something i had never like i never really had thought about it or seen and see and it was yeah it's kind of intense
1: <laughs> yeah it's a full-time job for people to like uh walk a path over and over again to make it so that everyone can share that path
0: i know and i think that's that's kind of a really beautiful metaphor put that way um so i i guess So you guys are a big camping family, I guess.
1: (laughs) And, yeah, we – and this was, like, before we had a kid. And so we haven't really gone camping, camping because our son's only two. And I don't know how that works yet. We have, like – we have friends who already are doing that with their, Mm -hmm. like, toddlers and stuff. But we're kind of like – that sounds hard. That sounds more hard (laughs) than it would be fun right now. And so we are a camping family, but we have – not been camping as much since this came out but you know this i started paradise creek four years ago so there's probably like you know 10 camping trips that happened during the making of the album that were very influential to it
0: that's yeah so half of us are big i'm not a camping person i had the short story is the first time i ever went camping when i was 12 maybe um i woke up in the middle of the night because i was being stung in the face by a scorpion
1: oh no thanks yeah
0: and so i've just it i I, you know i should probably talk to my therapist about this but um but my wife and she loves it and so my kid is kind of in between you know and she wants me to go and i'm like "Ah, you're gonna have a bad time if i go um anyway uh, it's definitely
1: not for everyone and that's actually kind of what i thought the album was about was like making some proxy of that experience available to an audience by having it in their pocket on streaming or like whatever, you know, like a very accessible nature escape.
0: Yeah. Well, and it, the thing that it really, the thing that I'm obsessed with and love thinking about and talking about is sort of the, the transportive aspects of music and how you can build these worlds from sounds that people, i mean and this record totally does that i can put it on especially if i can do it in a way that i'm not doing a bunch of other things Mm -hmm. it kind of just takes you away to some place and so i'm i'm curious for you like how do you like how do you think of music as a i guess a medium that can help you in this case like explore the natural world Um, Or create an imaginary world that you can, you know, go to for this 45 minutes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think the thing about music that makes it immersive in that way or, like, uh, accessible to world building is that it's time-based. And so, like, you can take a photograph Mm -hmm. and, like, blow it up to the size of a wall. And it can be immersive in a sense, but it's also still yeah, and it's frozen. And so that like f- stillness makes it uncanny. It's not really the world because our human perception of the world is completely time-based. Mm-hmm. And so I think music is more immersive because time is a material that is part of the music-making process. And so we can have these like immersive experiences with music because it's using this like critical thing that is part of our human experience, which is time. And so I was always thinking about how I was using time in the album because I also think a lot of musicians, and I don't mean this as a burn, but like, I think sometimes they take their listeners time for granted, maybe. Mm hmm. Uh, especially in like the ambient and experimental field, like there's a lot of like sprawling music, and I love a lot of that music, obviously sure. uh but I do think that there's something sort of like interesting in trying to make an immersive experience that also just happens for a moment. It's like a mm-hmm. a reverie or like a mm. a little daydream those like faster moments yeah. of escape, yes. I feel like are accessible for a lot of listeners now myself included so
0: yeah i mean that's a conversation i've had with a number of people recently and especially talking about the uh, the sort of concept of the seltzer salon and these short focused interviews of how everybody is so time poor these days because of sort of just the nature of our lives and so um i think there is I, i like the yeah kind of thinking about that when you're creating things is i think that's really nice um, um it's also a challenge it is yeah i was gonna say like especially for something like this where you're like you said you're talking about like world building and, and trying to create an immersive experience it's like how do you create an immersive experience in four minutes rather than 25
1: yeah absolutely uh turns out you work on it for like four years in my case
0: <laughs> and have 70 <laughs> demos apparently right
1: yeah like a lot a lot of demos a lot of stuff got cut
0: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, two questions kind of around that so i guess first i'm going to start a little less i mean i guess they're both process questions in a way but so when you're i'm when you're writing or you know recording i i don't know exactly what your process is if you you know just kind of hit record and start playing things or if you're writing notation but either way do you get do you get like sort of a idea or a place or an image in your mind and try to translate that into a sound or i mean what is i had this i did this interview a couple years ago with laraji and yeah he oh cool um and it never got published which is it's a long story but one of the things he talked about because we talked about this and he called it pulling music from the air yeah. That's and, what I do too, I think. And but go ahead. And so, yeah. So, and, and that, and cause that's what I do too. It's like, I get a sort of something gets in my head and I'm like, okay, how do I translate this into a sound? And yep. so I'm, yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts on that are.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, a huge part of my practice is built around improvisation, but mm-hmm. in the context of this album, sort of in line with the the concept or like the theme of the record, which is this sort of like uh, these reveries into nature. I just wanted to have fun making this album. And so a lot of what I did, and there were so many demos and not in a way that it, I was like super precious. I was really selective about what made the album, but like, I just like played music as much as I could for four years. Like anytime I could duck down into the studio, I would <laughs> go and record. Yes. And that's why I sort of like collected so much work. Uh, Cause I had like this loose idea for this album and I would go down and The process was different for every track, but I would start with guitar and I would make like a little guitar song and it it isn't notation. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily like a writing process, except for one of the songs on the record. Um, And I'll talk about that in a second, but a lot of it is just improvisation. And then I like take that improvisation and I go through my studio and I would just like layer almost every instrument I had in my studio on top of it with a take. And then I would just like go through and cut stuff back. Mm -hmm. So it's a very like additive and then reductive process. Yes, And so, uh, I start with a base layer and the challenge with that base layer is to keep it as minimal as possible. And then from that, I go to the layering process and then that's when it became like pretty time consuming, (laughs) but it also never really lost its pleasure because it was really fun to have so much stuff to like, sort of weave in mm-hmm. and out of and collage with. And so the whole album was written kind of like that. And then the one song that's like very composed is River Turns Woodley for Frogman. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that was written while my wife was pregnant and I was playing my guitar for her belly. And so oh. I like played that song over and over and over again because it was just sort of like my go-to song mm-hmm. for our like you know in utero child and so uh, and then sort of towards after he was born sort of towards the end of the recording process I was like this is also an adventure song I kind of feel like this should go in somehow and that's where that song came from so then I like used this really rudimentary basically lullaby guitar part and then just (laughs) like layered how I did with the rest of the process on top of it
0: that um that's awesome. That's I, I imagine that is a song that will be very special in the Matt Sage canon for. <laughs>
1: and like the first time I played it for him, he had like off of a, the the record uh-huh. when we got test pressings. He's a very active kid, mm-hmm. and he like sat down. Oh wow! And I was like, whoa, okay. Like that's amazing. music is powerful, and yes. it like I I fully just like started crying. But yeah, uh, that,
0: that's um yeah. We are. Uh, when my so when my wife was in labor we had Jurgen mueller's science of the sea on repeat she can't like my wife she can't listen to it ever again because and but my i the first time i ever played it for my daughter like again i you know i'm she doesn't remember but she she had a reaction to it yeah and it was yeah i got so emotional and that's you know that record for me is maybe the most special record in the world because of all of a lot of things but
1: um yeah we listen to plateau of mirror a lot in the delivery room that harold yes and like i can't listen to that without getting super emotional now
0: yeah can your partner listen to it uh
1: (laughs) yeah she can actually but like the she just doesn't remember all of that. Yeah. Stuff. We had a pretty traumatic delivery. And so she was kind of in, right. uh, she was in another place for me. Yes. Understand. Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah.
0: Um, she's great now. Everyone's right. healthy. So yes. that's good. Beautiful. Yep. yep. Um, so I guess, and, and just that, that all resonated with me, that your process, like that's kind of my general process too. So I always, I always feel good when I hear somebody else talk about, it, and I'm like, okay, I'm, not completely out of my mind sometimes, but...
1: Um. And I think it is like that because so much of, like, electronic music is... I mean, for me, writing music has to do as much with the instrument as it does with mm-hmm. a pedal or, like, technology. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of hard to, like, notate. Like, start the loop here. Right. like uh, You know what I mean? Like, this is where I recorded the loop, and then this is the thing that... I don't know. It's always so... Do you, amorphous do you find process.
0: that do you find that that i mean so when you play this live because i know you just had a amazing looking show this weekend i saw it was very fun so when you like that, how do you translate it live then this is the thing that i have been <laughs> dreading
1: and also have been excited about since i started <laughs> making like Especially when I finished the albums, I was like, uh-oh. I have no idea how I'm going to do this live. And also I was like double, uh-oh, I'm going to have to do this live. Right. And so and so, a lot of what I did or what how I'm doing the live set is that I like have all of my, and I also have revenge to thank because they sort of gave me a, a like uh, edifying pep talk about being better about my file management when we like started working on the project. And so it helped me kind of get my shit together oh, and organize funny. my files better. And that was like a very reifying experience, but uh, it made it so I have all of the master files for it. And so what I'm basically doing is I've stripped like six of the tracks back into a more sort of like streamlined version of themselves. And then I have like one to two minute long loops of those songs uh, on my modular. And then I'm like using those loops to sort of then like play on top of. So I like record and create textures live. And then I also have like a synth, so I can like do synth leads and pads and textures. And then uh, that's all sort of going through. I'm almost like, it's not quite DJing because (laughs) I really like interact with the loops, but my whole set's built on two granular loop uh, modules in a Euro rack setup. And so then I'm just like using two, two loopers and sort of, like, uh, DJing my stuff and then playing live on top of it. Okay. Which is, I think, maybe... uh, There's a lot of, like, (laughs) gatekeeping in modular about how stuff works because it's mysterious for a lot of people. (laughs) And uh, I just saw Suzanne Chiani recently in Denver, and after her set, she like invited everybody up on stage and explained her oh, for like 45 minutes. Oh my God. And she also yes. faced her instrument to the audience. Oh. And that radical gesture of yes. like clarity and anti gatekeeping uh, made me really believe that it's a thing that I want to try to do too, which is like demystify yeah. what I'm doing a little bit. And so, yeah, my rig is really simple, but what's cool is like, I spent forever composing that source material. Right. And so I have no qualms with it feeling lazy that I'm like playing this work back because I did the late right. <laughs> And I like performed those parts. And now I'm going to just play them off my rig and like have fun uh, smushing around the sound of wind chimes live, which it's so fun. Uh, and I do like some, I play some harmonica and stuff too, but it's mostly oh, just cool. like textural stuff that I get to do.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I, I love I love that about that she did that. Oh my gosh! It was That's so
1: amazing. punk, and yeah. she was so sweet about it. God. And like everyone, obviously, was like on stage taking pictures, and she was like moving cables so people could see. Oh my god! Yeah. At the end of her set, she was like, "Thank you, I'm Suzanne, and this is my bukla." Like it's like her <laughs> companion on stage, and she mm. like let everyone interview the companion. It was really cool.
0: That's really amazing. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm right there with like the less gatekeeping about any of this stuff we can do and the more yeah that's good um yeah so one of the things you you've i you've kind of said a couple times and it's something that i connected with is you talked about how this experience was like it was fun and like you had like and i i i sometimes think that in a lot of and again this is like I'm not calling anybody out and everybody's got to do what they need to do. But like, I feel like, and I had this conversation with somebody, I can't remember who now, but we talked about how like fun and like joy are emotions that I, I search for in quote unquote experimental music. Yeah. And i because, you know, people, I, I think it's the thing you hear a lot about talking, and, and I talk about this a lot, like the, my writing approach is focusing very much on like the very emotional side of things. But like most of the time when I, I think when I'm like, when I'm reading press materials or, you know, reading about albums, it's a lot about the emotions that it talks about are not joy.
1: <laughs> it, yeah. It's
0: a lot more serious, but how like joy is just as valid of if, of emotion as sadness and so where i'm i'm not even sure where i'm going with this question at this point because i'm just <laughs> i have like a
1: two hour long ramble and that would have to be for another podcast but um, <laughs> we, we can do a
0: multi-part series on yeah, joy and joy expir- and, and music but yeah okay what, so what's the short end like because this music is like there is a joy to it and it's because it's it's fun to listen to and-
1: thank, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's like the most I could hope for. And I think my answer is that I don't even want to just speak to the niche of like experimental electronic music, but like culture at large
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, expects dread from us <laughs> and like propagates dread for us by selling us dread. And I think that it's super radical to have fun. And it's like anti-capitalist to find joy in, and I know there's a complexity in saying that about something that's like a sound object that's to be bought or sold or whatever. Uh, But I also think just like in general, our culture loves our misery (laughs) and makes money off of our misery. And I think that in order to, one of the most fundamental ways to sort of like break through that ice is to find pleasure in simple things Mm -hmm. or to just take pleasure. I think pleasure is radical. There's this book, and I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head right now, but it's called Pleasure Activism. And it's not really, uh, I've only read a few chapters, so I'm no expert on the text, but what I got from it was that, um, Pleasure isn't really in this sort of like Bacchanalian indulgence kind of sensibility, but it's more just like taking joy in simple things <laughs> is a disruptive practice. And so I wanted my process to just have, I just wanted to have fun because I feel like a lot of, and now I'll like speak to the niche for a second, like a lot of experimental or electronic music has this sort of like postured seriousness. Mm-hmm. And I love so much of that music. Sure, and right. I wouldn't make I wouldn't make the music that I make now if I hadn't grown up like admiring that yes. kind of music and that sort of sensibility of seriousness and academia. But I also think that uh if that's all we made, we would be expecting our listenership to always be in that Modality, And I don't think that's fair to an audience to expect them to always be choking their, or stroking their chins and like, uh, gazing into visual scores that are indecipherable. Like, I don't think that's fair to our audience. And so as someone who grew up listening to that sound palette, I was like, I want to use that sound palette. And this sort of like, uh, informed by that sort of academic music and make something that feels like an adventure ride. Hmm. Like that was sort of, that was my whole approach because I want to have, I think that that audience deserves joy and fun. Oh my God. I think it's also because I am that audience and that's all I wanted. I would just like wanted right. to have fun listening to music. And so many of my heroes, both contemporary and from the past, made music that's hard to listen to. Like the sounds are interesting, right. but it's like demanding and sometimes it can feel kind of cold mm-hmm. and... Uh, I love that music and I wanted to use that vocabulary to do something. And this is like a word that I'm so terrified of, but it's absolutely part of the process is like whimsy. Like I mm-hmm. wanted to have a sort of like reverie, a whimsy to it. And so I went for it.
0: I Whimsy is a thing I have learned to lean into a lot more in the last few years. And I, yeah. and I, have and I, I had this conversation. Whimsy's not cool. Yeah. But it, but, like, but it's but like, like, but it kinda, but also the
1: most it has to be cool it's right, the most important kinda, thing
0: well and and something i was i was talking to somebody about was we were talking about we were talking about this in the context of rancid so yeah. okay <laughs> but but like there's a part of rancid the, the part that appeals to me the most is when they're really earnest mm-hmm. and how earnestness kind of scares people it's intimidating, it yeah. Is? But they're like when you see somebody just kind of, because there's this video of them playing the song, and, like Tim Armstrong takes off his hat, and he like puts it to his chest for this one part of the song, and he's so, it's so sweet and earnest and just, and I I love it so much, and it just it makes me like it makes me emotional even, think, take thinking about it. But I yeah, totally. I think that's such a powerful like when I think of what in 2023 what punk rock is. It's like Uh being earnest and being like, like you were talking about with like finding pleasure and like experiencing whimsy and all these things that, yeah, aren't quote supposedly cool, but man, like they're, I don't know. It's Yeah. I think a lot of it,
1: too, for me, like, becoming more comfortable with whimsy and not worrying about being cool came with being a parent mm-hmm. because there's, like, nothing cool about changing <laughs> diapers. Right. And there's, like, nothing cool about, like, your kid having a tantrum in a store and having to, like, com- like become both highly visible and also invisible to that, yes. like, the world that you're in and just be with your kid in that moment. Like, you can't have... An edit like an artifice in that yes. space you have to be real and i think that those sorts of demands made me suddenly turn around and look at the art world that and like the music world and the academic world that i've been so embedded in for so long and was sort of like whoa there's a lot of like accoutrement that goes into being that mm-hmm. person all the time and suddenly when i became a parent like i'm exhausted and like i get burned out but i also have learned to not prioritize all of those trappings as much and it's been super liberating and i think that that was a huge part of my approach working on this record was being sort of like like i i think asking people to have fun is risky and this is a thing i've talked about (laughs) with a few other people is that like uh my biggest fear working on this music was that it would be too fun for an audience (laughs) like i think that i was worried that especially like maybe kind of critically that it wasn't like thinking too, it was, Mm -hmm. it wasn't thinking hard enough. And so maybe it was like not worth taking seriously. And some of my favorite films or books are comedies. Yeah. And I think comedy is really hard to do. And I don't necessarily think this record is a comedy, but I think that it like accesses that same pleasure network. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's really hard writing jokes and I think it's really hard to take fun seriously sometimes. And that was my whole thing was like, I'm going to take fun seriously. I'm going to take pleasure seriously. I'm going to play. I don't know. Uh, Yeah,
0: no, I think that's, um, yeah, I, this is resonating like on a very deep level with me. I'm, I'm, I think it's because we're both
1: lifers, though. Well, I mean, that's a big
0: part of it. Yeah. Well, and you know, when you were talking about becoming a parent and it sort of adjusts your thinking in a way like in 2015, when I fell off the face of the earth, I was part of it was that like I was struggling so much and I didn't know what to do with it. And this was like before I was in therapy and all those things that helped me. But that was a big part of it was that I was dealing with things that like five years before it was everything to me and then all of a yep. sudden it's like I don't have time I gotta go like yeah I gotta go wipe my kid's ass <laughs> like yeah and you I, can't I've, you can't continually
1: like be on Instagram if you have to change diapers and cut up apples right just next time yeah like, there's just no time for that same presence in those spaces yeah
0: and and I it took me a while to figure out how to sort of adjust and I I mean I've I feel like I'm in this place now, like I'm in the best place I've ever been with it. And I, but, and when I think of the work I'm doing now, like it's the stuff I feel most proud of in a way because of a lot of, like you said, that ar- the artifice, I've it's gone because it's just, yep. I'm like, this is just me. <laughs> like, I want to, yeah, I want to experience fun and joy. And, you know, I think fun and joy in a, like, on a serious level is, it's intimidating, but it's also when it when it comes together and like when it lands it's so powerful
1: yeah i mean i i during the process of writing and recording paradise Crick, i also taught a class called writing the sitcom for a semester oh wow and <laughs> i had like i'd written i've worked on like screenplay stuff mm-hmm. and i've done like comedy videos with friends in my undergrad days and in high school and stuff. And I've always been interested in comedy. Like when I was a little kid, I wanted to be on SNL. Mm-hmm. That was like my biggest <laughs> goal was that I wanted to be a comedian on SNL. And so I sort of had been like culturally studying to teach that class my whole life without knowing it. And then when it was offered to me, uh, because the teacher who had to, was going to do it, like had to retire kind of suddenly during COVID, mm-hmm. um, and people were already registered. I was like, that sounds super fun. And over the course of a summer, I like (laughs) took an intensive self-taught course on comedy. And that was all happening while I was working on this record. And I think that had a huge like impact. Like there was like how to write a joke, kind of like chapters and like uh, the art of the setup and the art of timing and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that really informed a lot of like how I was thinking about the writing process to like have these people take fun so seriously. Uh, And also comedy is so much about considering your audience too, Mm -hmm. uh, and like sort of finding ways to know who your audience is and then to surprise them. And so I was thinking about all of that stuff while I was working on this record like
0: yeah yeah it's uh,
1: definitely uh it's definitely on a comedy record like it's right. not, like adam sandler jokes or whatever <laughs> <laughs> but i think it has some of those elements in it that it's built to delight and surprise and also there's like ups and downs in it and there's mm-hmm. like slower slower moments yeah. and there's like a few sad moments on the record i think like maybe melancholic is a better word but i think that's all part of comedy
0: yeah uh, no and i so that's awesome That's, that's yeah. that, that sounds like a really fun class <laughs> um my students wrote
1: an incredible pilot episode for a show that like they 100% should I hope they so they pitch uh, it <laughs> they, they do something with it because they wrote this incredible pilot and we did this table read and I was completely blown away oh, that's it. So, it was good. so good yeah. yeah
0: that's so rewarding too like yeah
1: it was and like especially during COVID and it was like right. all online they really showed up for that class in a way that they didn't in some of my other yeah. classes it was amazing yeah that's
0: awesome yep. um before we get out of here can you tell me a little bit about the organization earth justice that some of the album's proceeds are going to yeah
1: uh they are a they're essentially like climate change lawyers <laughs> and their approach is more legislative and like uh corporate law oriented which i think is uh a very powerful way to approach talking about climate change, especially with corporations. Uh, And so instead of these sort of like grass movement or like grassroots movements of like, let's recycle or like let's plant trees, also super important. But I think that there is something really powerful in having lawyers in boardrooms and courtrooms who are there to like double check these corporations and try to uh, implicate laws that make damaging The climate with corporate greed harder Mm -hmm. and so that's why i chose earth justice was because uh there's so many amazing grassroots companies doing amazing things but i also think it's like pretty powerful to put an entity in the boardroom to uh speak with the planet for stewardship
0: yes yeah cool
1: awesome
0: well i can't thank you enough for doing this this was like the perfect into a wild morning so
1: great yeah i have had a whirlwind month and today's like my first day i like went into my studio space this morning uh and it just looks like a tornado has gone through there with like how much stuff has happened in my life in the last three weeks and so my goal after i'm done with you is to like work on a few projects for cash media and then also to just like clean my studio i'm really excited to clean my studio
0: well i hope i hope the day works out that way for you (laughs)
1: Great, <laughs> Brad. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
0: I want to say thanks again for Matt for just taking the time and um, and also, you know, Bird Sounds in the background, very much on brand. <laughs> uh, but again, Paradise Crick is out now on Revenge International. It's one of my favorite albums of the year so far. It's really, really great. And I I just appreciate, I appreciate... Matt's openness and how his music is so vulnerable in so many ways and it. And I know that's a big reason why I connect to it. And earnestness is something I think about and talk about a lot these days. Um, If you, if any of you listen to the 11th hour, that has been a big topic the last few months over there. And it's just, it's something that scares me but it's something I am trying to be better about in all aspects of my life. And I just, I don't know. The world could use a little more earnestness and the world could use ever. or let me say everybody could use their own paradise crick. So give it a listen, check it out. Thanks for being here. Hope you're well. And until next time. I guess I'll see ya.